0: Hi there, before we start, if you're new to our show, thank you so much for tuning into our program and we hope you'll stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all your kind words and encouragement. We really help this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to centre the perspective of the people who look like us and as women and people who are marginalised historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on OVNI, Apple and Google or Spotify. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you'd like to support us, Please head to BuyMeCoffee page to make a donation, which will help us to continue the intersectionality of the podcast industry. Hello everyone, this is Helen and you're listening to Asian Bitches Down Under. Being a woman of colour in the Western world, I often think about my, how my broad body moves through the society its implications, its meaningfulness to this world in relation to my own personal space and the space that I engage in the public arena. When I was younger, the desire of assimilating into Australian life was a way of survival. Nevertheless the way that I display myself can often be conflictual when I want to hold dearly to the culture of my birthplace which will attract sometimes um, casual racism and sometimes it attracts curiosity from strangers who exoticize or fetishize the culture. A lot of times, living in a Western country like Australia as an Asian person and navigating through those aspects are not without challenges. The essence um, to continue to convey the imperative messages of diversity and different life experience is what an artist like Natia Nagarajan does. I have the pleasure of having Natia speak with me on our podcast today. Nitya Nagarajan is a contemporary performance maker and curator who works across Australia and the Asia-Pacific. She holds a PhD in performance studies with 12 years of experience in programming, creative producing, international engagement and transformative justice in uh, the art industry. Her artistic practice adopts movement as a system of inquiry into the sacred, The Sensational and The the Colonial. Natia currently serves as a co-artistic director um, at Melbourne's Art House and as one of the board members of the Theatre Network Australia. And on top of that, Natia is the assistant director for the upcoming production The Jungle and the Sea which will be opening tomorrow, comm- commencing from 12th of uh, November at Belvoir Street Theatre, Sarahew, Sydney.
1: Welcome Latia, thank you so much for joining me today, how are you? I'm good, um, tired and running <laughs> on adrenaline um, and thank you for having me on your podcast and I really loved the slip of tongue when you said sensational, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so are you um uh, are you coming to are you at sydney at the moment or are you still based in melbourne this weekend i uh,
1: uh, i am yeah i've been in sydney um at belvoir street theater for the last five weeks uh, for really? the rehearsal period and we're currently in tech week uh, which is when the show is put on the set and the lights are tested and plotted and um, Sound World is its long days. We finish in the theatre at 11pm and tomorrow the show previews uh, to its first audience, which is nerve-wracking and exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So can we start uh, with you telling us about yourself? I would love to know about where you grew up, what's your childhood like, and let us know about your heritage background, please.
1: Thank you. Um, Yeah, my name is Nitya, which uh, means eternal in Tamil. Uh, So I am a woman of Tamil ancestry. Uh, I have grown up internationally. I was born and raised in. Kuwait just before the Gulf War um, and where my parents were working as immigrants um, and then they fled the war but returned uh, straight after actually. So my entire childhood was in Kuwait um, which was it's a very small country you can Mm. drive from one end of the country to the other in in two hours much of it is desert um, and um, it it was a great place to grow up. Um, I really had a very uh, joyous childhood. Um, I started dancing very much um, as a rite of passage for young girls in the diaspora, much like how uh, ballet has that positionality in Western society, Bharatanatyam, the neoclassical Indian dance form that I started doing when i was three and through which i have a life in the arts now um, and a love-hate relationship with over the years i started when i was three uh, in diaspora classes Um, and then i moved to india uh, to chennai on the southeast coast of india um, when i was 13 and i went to high school there i made that move uh, at the time to become a full-time a professional Bharatanatyam dancer, um, and I moved to India. Um, effectively living by myself, my mom would go between Kuwait and India, um, where my dad was still uh, working. And then um, I've lived in multiple parts of India through through work uh, over the years. I'm in Ahmedabad, um, in Mumbai, um, in Bangalore and then um went to the uk for my master's degree i went to the university of leeds and then i worked in london and came to um Narm, to wurundjeri country in melbourne uh 10 years ago uh, when i got a phd uh scholarship to study at monash um and i have been here ever since um and still still live uh and play and work and rest on Wurundjeri country uh, and very privileged to be a guest yeah
0: sounds such a vibrant live experience uh, you know from this place to that place and then you move to UK um, from the sound of it, that you always wanted to be an artist or a dancer when you were little did you uh, always feel like that's your calling when you're younger have you thought about other sort of careers that you want to pursue or have your have you had much of an influence from your family um say like your parents what were their expectations
1: yeah I mean I don't really have a memory before the arts um because I started dancing so young um I I don't perform solo Bharatanatyam dancing anymore but it has a significant influence on my outlook and perspective and uh, was my entry point into the wider art sector and contemporary sort of conversation. Um, I don't remember wanting to do anything else except be Mm -hmm. in the arts ever. I feel like um, if I had uh, one-tenth the conviction and clarity in my personal life as I have um, with what I've wanted to do um, professionally and what fulfills me Mm -hmm. um, that would be great but no i i've always known i wanted to be in the arts it was a uh, i have um south asian parents of course who uh, were very encouraging and supportive of the arts as a uh, as a side as something you do on the side as a hobby um, or as a pursuit of passion um, there's also very complicated ideas of tradition with the form that i do so they didn't um, I think they were interested often in the diaspora there can be investment in your daughter learning Indian classical dance as a way of holding on to a mm. certain kind of tradition or imagining of tradition uh, but I don't think they ever expected me to go into the arts so that was a huge um moment of tussle at a family level I have an undergraduate degree in accounting and finance actually because I didn't win that first fight Uh, but then they said um, if you if you finish your undergrad like I think in the second year of my undergrad degree I hated it Mm. I was so unhappy um, that they negotiated with me and said if I finish the degree and I have the fallback option then I can go on to do what I'd like but over the years um i think they struggled to understand what i do and sometimes they still do but over the years they have made much more of an effort to intersect and engage with it they now come to opening nights of shows or my dad read my phd thesis which was Mm -hmm. yeah um, really really amazing and it's actually brought us closer together because there were things in the research that were problematizing notions of idealized femininity in in south asian culture for example um which are conversations i would have struggled to just sit at a coffee table and start with my father but through his reading of that phd we've had more profound sort of cultural and political conversations over time um across generations yeah wow that
0: sounds amazing i guess doing that PhD, you know, you do it for your own uh, desire of learning, but it acts as a way yeah. of communication bridge for you and your parents as well. Like you said, with your dad where he reads and then he get to understand you more. That sounds so sweet. Yeah. And I also totally agree with um, diasporas trying to hold on to their own cultures through um, some sort of um, culture aspects, um, songs, arts or language, um, I often think about that when I was growing up because I moved to Australia when I was 10 and it was kind of like mm. when back in the 90s and the two, early 2000s, The a lot of Asian diasporas, they were just trying to assimilate into Australian culture and we were kind of forced to speak a lot of English, um, kind mm. of trying to, not so much as for enforced to forget about our past but in the sense that the parents want us to fit in, you know, the the term fit in as quickly as possible, that we didn't have the capacity to maintain our own cultures and now when I have my kids I'm trying to <laughs> kind of reinforce them to you know learn the language and even I asked my daughter to recite poems and she sings you know Chinese songs which is really sweet you know seeing the smiles from my parents that they oh I'd never expect that my grandkids growing up in a western country that they are really mm. um, kind of capturing that the things that we lost in you know their generation yeah that's that sounds amazing um so looking through your website i'm amazed by the content and the work that you do can you talk about your past works maybe let's talk about most memorable work um in the previous years i actually saw one of the your the instagram post about bleed 22 the biannual digital exhibition was that is that did you participate in that because that captured me because it had um bit of exhibition in taiwan as well which is where i when i was from yeah would you
1: like to talk about that i can talk about that that is through my institutional hat so i work as the co-artistic director uh at arts house which is um based at north melbourne town hall and it is a city of melbourne funded venue for contemporary performance and we really invest in experimentation and as an artist pointing in questions about the world so uh, one of the uh, programs that was seeded as a partnership between art house and Campbelltown art center mm-hmm. in 2020 was a project called bleed uh, which stands for biennale live event in the everyday mm-hmm. digital yep. um, and bleed was uh, a way to uh present works that are thinking about our hybrid existence so the kind of false binary between the live and the digital mm-hmm. um, and this year we also partnered with two organizations in taiwan taipei performing arts center and museum of contemporary art in taipei uh, and commissioned nine artists between this consortium uh, to who are asking questions uh, through digital technology, through emergent practices, through media art, through gaming, through um, kind of decolonial digital spaces, asking questions of borders and what it means to have them, to hold them, to transgress them. So that was bleed and um you could actually go online on bleedonline.net and some of the online works are still there and the whole website is bilingual as you may have fantastic yeah
0: that's amazing
1: there is a work that i've been making for uh, it's in development and it's a work um, that i've been making with a theater maker called live satchel um and it is a semi-autobiographical work so it is the most personal work that i will make Mm today um and it will open in 2024 and it's a dance theater work where the forms of movement and text are really in an interplay or a conversation with each other and it uh, follows this young woman's journey um as she contends the the implication of partner violence within uh, her uh, relationship as a teenager Mm -hmm. and so this is a work that will um, eventually be a one woman show uh, accompanied by two live musicians Mm -hmm. Um, and the work explores not just um a first-person perspective or um, storytelling, because we so rarely hear a survivor's point of view. Often the way that you hear of domestic violence is through jurisprudence or legal or journalistic. It's reporting and it's often um, also through the, the perpetrators uh, viewpoint because of what is amplified Um, and then within that discourse as well when um, the media does spotlight survivors it's very much uh, of a particular culture and hegemony and these conversations can be quite complicated within the cultural spheres uh, we occupy Um, and I think particularly in the diaspora because you um, were so um, marginalized racially that it becomes difficult to have hard conversations about the conditions within our diaspora Um, and yeah so that's that's the work that I'm uh, currently making and um, you know how you put feminist processes of care in the rehearsal room and how you work across these disciplines how do you make sure you're not Um, re-traumatizing in the process of telling and um, what is the uh, truth-telling motivation and what is the artistic integrity of that translation or the contract with audiences and how do you tell a story from the place of a scar and not a wound Uh, these are the questions that are kind of very alive in the room right now
0: Oh that sounds so fascinating. I was going to ask you my next question was really about the transformative justice in our industry and you pretty much answered that question. Yeah I, I totally agree of what you said that it is a very culture sensitive topic when you are uh, transcended into like a very personal and family boundaries that whereas um, Asians we usually don't put it up onto into the public um arena which as an artist i guess that you have to find how to navigate through those steps um uh, my next question is um you're one of the founder member of is it called homework because there's yeah a, it is it is <laughs> um h and then underscore m-e-w then underscore r-r-k homework which is a collective or south australian artists living and making me sharing the unceded first uh, people's land.
1: Can you tell us about of, about this project? Yeah, it's, it's South Asian artists, actually, not okay. um, South Australian. So we're all um, the four of us who are co-founders are uh, South Asian artists, arts workers from different um, kind of subcontinental lineages and different intersecting identities. And we've all been in the arts for a long time. It was born our coming together. uh, Collectivizing was really born off the pandemic um, and a way for us to bring folks from the diaspora together to really think through um, how they're feeling, how they're healing. Many of us have strong connections back uh, in our kind of um, either birth countries or uh, ancestral countries and so um and the pandemic was no great leveler as we all know it actually like and um had very different uh, and the ongoing implications of it are quite different in different parts of the world so it was also a way for us to think of what it means to uh come together to heal to have a place to talk about that disjuncture when you have one foot in one um, geosocial political context and the other, when you might have family and friends overseas, uh, what mutual aid can look like, what solidarity building can look like. Uh, But through this coming together, there were more than 150 artists across Australia uh, that uh, Came together in this informalized network and there was a real um, understanding that there's a keen sense of community building and professional development and practice sharing that artists want to do um, and have space for um, particularly for artists whose practices are contemporary um, that are non-traditional non-classical younger voices politically motivated artists uh, who don't have formats for their work to be developed, for their skills to be developed, for practices to be shared, for conversations to be uh, had that are hard within our communities and um, sometimes um, there is value in having culturally uh, encased and closed spaces for building safety before opening that up externally. Um, So through homework we've run um, a whole range of online workshops which are a sharing of practice, process, artists, instrument, and treatment with artists from India, Sri Lanka, Nepal. We've invited collectives to share. We ran um, an art party fundraiser uh, mm-hmm. when the pandemic was at its height uh, in India, in partnership with Hot Sauce. Uh, it was a night of queer. Um, Asian storytelling and performance with uh, food um, and we uh, also um, but we also do things like building resources of ways to tangibly help um, when the pandemic was at its crisis point uh, in India so we do a range of of things uh, and we're currently planning um, our first uh, South Asian movie night
0: Oh, that sounds so exciting. So much work that you're doing and you've done is just so, you know, I'm just mind blown about your um, efforts and your excellence in doing all this work. Um, Let's talk about the theatre production, The Jungle in the Sea, that you're currently working on as an assistant director. So this will be um, starting tomorrow at Belvoir Street Theatre at Surahue, Sydney. So what's the story of uh, The Jungle and the Sea? Um, Can you tell us, maybe not give us too much spoilers because we want to encourage everyone to go and watch it, um, briefly about the production and how you got uh, started to involved in this production?
1: Yeah. Um, So The Jungle and the Sea is a complementary work to the award-winning play Counting and Cracking, which was co-written and co-directed by S. Shakti Daran and Eamon Flack. Um, so, The Jungle and the Sea um, is a story of one family, um, one multi-religious, multi-ethnic family, um, who are living in Sri Lanka and who are living through the war. Um, The course of the war splits the family um, and then they are eventually based between Australia and Sri Lanka. And it follows each individual person's journey uh, through that war from a very humanist perspective. And it really kind of traces the agency um, and self-fulfilling journey of each person through uh, a time of deep political turmoil Um, and in many ways it is the triumph of the human spirit uh, even at the darkest of times Uh, so there is love there is loss uh, there is tragedy um, there is kind of philosophical and spiritual questions and it makes uh, mythic the, the tales of ordinary people uh, who do extraordinary things at, at a time of deep crisis. Um, it asks fundamental questions, we hope, uh, that will turn an audience's attention inward in thinking through um, what it means to be human in, in these very politically disturbed times. Um, and so it, it, it is a culturally specific story, but one that has uh it is told with so much care and sensitivity that it has a certain universalism to it because of that specificity um and it's brilliantly cast so the cast are from uh there are cast members who have flown internationally from india from sri lanka there are cast members from western sydney um and it is an intergenerational cast uh it's being uh commissioned by Belvoir street theater uh in surrey hills uh but it's a co-production with lingalayam dance company and um the the character who plays Gowri, the mother uh in the story is a very famous uh, kuchipudi and Bharatanatyam dancer who was a child prodigy uh, her kind of fame precedes her before I met her I knew who she was her name is Anandavali uh, and she's in her mid uh, 60s and making her acting debut in this play um, and the whole play is set uh, on a revolve uh, for the whole time so the world oh, the revolve is moving yeah. mm-hmm. um, for the whole three hours which is a real a feat of athleticism on the artist's uh, part uh, and the script is, uh, while predominantly in English there are influences of Tamil, of Sinhala, um, and the whole world of the work is scored by live uh, Carnatic and folk music, which um, is played uh, by um, Arj Vindran on percussion and vocal and uh, into Balachandra non which is a string instrument and they're virtuosic musicians so there is a uh, live music accompanying the entire production which is very, um, it's, it's not necessarily the way Western theatre operates uh, so formally as well it's doing something quite inventive in bringing um, alternate traditions of storytelling to the main stage in Australia.
0: No, I love that. I love the inventiveness and bringing differences into the theatre production. Thank you so much for sharing with us about the production. What are your observations um, about um, South asian uh, works what are what what's your observation about the from the audiences or the people who have um view your works what do they think i know that there's a lot of um south south asians um in western sydney where i um, reside for a couple of years what are their responses to art like this as as in also um are they moving towards of more um, what I'm trying to say is that I always think I always think that maybe, you know, art and theatre was more of a white uh, Sophia and a lot of audiences and the gallery uh, attendance are mostly white. It's only in the recent years that we're seeing more diverse people that are uh, attracting to this sort of um, art productions. What are your observations and what do you think about how to invite more people of color uh, into the audience space
1: yeah i mean it's it's funny you ask that question um because i think actually the it comes back to the transformative justice question and who is the community uh, that story is told for how are they yep. engaged from the beginning and who is our who are our publicly funded arts institutions accountable to mm-hmm. because in the arts uh, in australia most uh, institutions are funded by federal and state and city council funding which means that it's taxpayer dollars and mm-hmm. all australians pay tax not yes. only white australians pay tax so yes. there is um a prerogative to uh, for participation and access to the arts uh, for all communities but i think uh, it's an institutional issue actually that the programming everyone within arts institutions for a long time have been monocultural uh, that is people in leadership people in decision making people in programming people making the work so works that are built for our stages are still predominantly telling stories from the western canon uh, which is very difficult to attract a plethora of audiences and multiplicity of perspectives, too, because people do not see themselves uh, as reflected at all uh, within those stories. Um, but in the same vein, uh, I personally do not think about theater's Western traditions. I mean, we live on First Nations land, which has uh, 60,000 years of unbroken storytelling traditions, um, and coming from India as well, uh, the Natishaster has the oldest, uh, is the oldest treatise on stagecraft craft ever written in the world. And we have some of the oldest uh, living um, musical theater and dance traditions. So I think um, art uh, is very much an intrinsic part of culture and ritual and community building within many non-Western societies but uh, has become so corporatized and institutionalized in the West and also has been servicing only one community for so long um, that audiences do not uh, feel welcome. So I think Mm. shifting the question from um, how can these institutions uh, purely monetize diverse audiences for building a box office to how they can meaningfully build a relationship with these communities that are their stakeholders because of public money. I think is the fundamental question, and that takes a whole rethink of the model at every level, from who yes. arts institutions are hiring, who are on their governance, who is in their leadership, uh, to how how does the marketing a team have cultural sensitivity in how they communicate what they're doing externally but also um, what other stories we're telling on Australian stages and in spaces and site specific uh, ways and who who gets to tell them. I think that will automatically shift who comes as well.
0: Absolutely. Very well said. Yeah, I totally agree of everything that you just mentioned. Yeah, it's so true. That's why we have you um, on our program that we can talk about and explore all these conversations. Um, Thank you so much for speaking with me today, Nathia. Um, So the information about the theatre production, Jungle and the Sea, will be in our show notes. Um, Thank you so much for this wonderful chat. It's been such an honour and good luck with the production that is commencing
1: tomorrow night. Thank you so much. I hope to see you at the theatre. Thank you. Uh, Take care. Bye.